0: Good evening everybody. Um, so tonight um tonight's topic is I'm pretty excited about it because it's something that it's something that I think about often actually um given my line of work and my place of employment. See um I decided last today today's Clubfest day, and even though we didn't get into Clubfest, um and one of the cool things about Clubfest, I don't know if you guys win or not, but it's just it's it's a it's a kind of a celebration of all of our student organizations here at Iowa State University, and um, it's a really cool event. 250 clubs set of 800 get in there, so the other 600 of us kind of have to sit on the sidelines. And due to clerical error on my part, was part of it. But yeah, we didn't get in this year. But um, but I decided last year we normally do Club Fest, and I decided last year that on Club Fest Wednesday, from now on, that it would be Vision Night at CCF, where I kind of talked about the kind of what my vision is, what my and Lucy's vision is for Campus Christian Fellowship, and what kind of ministry we want to be going forward. And so, it's kind of what we're going to talk about, and um, the way I approach this topic kind of changed dramatically last year due to a couple of things, but it kind of it kind of started actually the week before Club Fest, the second week of school last year, and um, I was talking to Rhonda and Gianna about worship team stuff, and um, kind of telling them that you know some more information is going to be coming out, but I'm still kind of in the process of getting organized. And so, making fun of me, they said, "Well, we are a campus Christian fellowship, not campus Christian organization." And though, even though they were making fun of me, though, I, I, to me it was one of the most profound pieces of ministry advice I'd ever gotten. I mean, more profound than anything any of my seminary professors ever said or any preacher I've ever heard. And I've had, and I had some pretty profound, brilliant seminary professors. I've been to a lot of conferences with some really brilliant speakers. But by that, the whole notion that, we're, that our main purpose isn't to be an organization or to be an awesome organization, but rather that we are a fellowship or we're supposed to be a fellowship, Really struck me because one of the things about, one of the things about seminary is they, they teach you a lot about how to run a church or how to run an organization. And it's really easy to get caught up in that mindset that we need to do stuff to build up CCF, we need to make our club really strong on campus. But as a thought, as a thought more about that, really what we need to focus on is making our fellowship stronger. And not worry so much about organization and about technique, about all that kind of stuff. And so, when we talk about vision, see, one of the things in seminary—I had a leadership and ministry for leadership and management for ministry class in seminary—and one of the things we talked about were vision statements and purpose statements um, and mission statements. And apparently, I didn't get that message really well because we had to write a personal—I don't know if it was a vision statement or mission statement or what it was—but I, I, it took me a while, and I kind of came up with something, and I turned it in, and I got it back, and they told me it was wrong. Because I don't know if it was a mission statement, but I wrote a purpose statement, or if it was a purpose statement, but I just wrote it. I don't know what, I can't remember what I did wrong, other than I wasn't very good at making the mission statement. And I bring that up tonight because I kind of came up with a mission statement, or a vision statement, for CCF, and um and if I turned it into my seminary class, it would fail, Like right? I would get an F on it. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but this, this is what I came up with. Um, I want you guys to learn this. Here is the new vision statement for CCF at Iowa State University. Dandelions are flowers. The kingdom of God is a party, parentheses, and everyone is invited. And don't be a butt. One T, not two. the lions are flowers. The kingdom of God is a party, and everyone is invited. And don't be a butt. Just one t, not two t's. So make sure you catch that. And then, and, then, and this, and this submission statement, it would fail in a seminary class because there's a lot of problems with it. It's a mess. It's um, I mean, it, it's not clear. It's not concise. It's not coherent. Um, it starts off with a metaphor. The second clause has a parenthetical reference in it, and the third part is a really bad double entendre. But, but when I think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I think this is what it really entails. And So some of you guys look confused, um, so I'm going to explain it. And so the first part, dandelions are fires." This is a metaphor that actually I've used a couple of times at CCF. And some of you guys have never been here or had, and never heard it before. It doesn't make any sense. Some of you guys have been here, heard me use it maybe once or both times, but you weren't paying attention and you don't remember what it was. A couple of you probably vaguely remember me referencing this at some point and don't quite know what I'm talking about. When I say when I say that dandelions are flowers, here's what I'm talking about. See, when you're a child, dandelions are flowers to you. I mean. We all started off with like it. We see a dandelion and we call it a flower. In fact, for most of us, probably the first the first bouquet of flowers we ever went out in the backyard and picked for our mother was probably a bouquet of dandelions. See, as a child, you see a dandelion and you say, This is a flower. But see, somewhere later in life, somebody told you that dandelions actually aren't a flower. Well, I mean what do they tell you that what do they say dandelions are? They're not flowers, they're they're weeds. <laughs> Is it that dandelions are weeds. And so we have two pe- we have two types of people in the world. We have people who think that dandelions are flowers and people who think that dandelions are weeds. And see, so here's the thing. Um, this is totally a judgment call on your part. You can determine whether this dandelion should be considered a flower or whether it should be a weed. You know, the thing about dandelions is I think they're kind of beautiful flowers. I get really excited in the spring when I see them start popping up in the yard. Um, other people get really frustrated when they see them start popping up and so they'll get some Roundup or some other kind of chemical and shoot it and kill it. And the thing about dandelions too is actually not only are they beautiful, I think, but um they actually they are pretty useful. I mean this is from Wikipedia article on dandelions, which I've ordered a couple of times. Did you know that did you know that dandelions are actually a good companion plant for gardening? Because it's taproot will bring up nutrients for shallow root root plants and adds minerals to the soil, it adds nitrogen to the soil, it attracts pollinating insects, it releases ethylene gas which helps fruit to ripen. You can make coffee out of dandelion roots. You can make wine out of dandelions. There was a British soft drink called dandelion and burdock and actually dandelion is one of the ingredients in root beer. One of the roots that they use to make root beer. Dandelions are extremely abundant in vitamins and minerals, especially vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin K, and vitamin H, which I don't know what vitamin H is, but according to Wikipedia, if you need it, the dandelions are a good source. They're good sources of calcium, potassium, iron, magnesium. has medicinal purposes and you know, three three and a half ounces of dandelions only have 45 calories, uh, 9.2 grams of carbohydrates, which is pretty good. Three and a half grams of fiber, which isn't bad. Very low fat, and almost three grams of protein. So it's very healthy food. It just has a lot of different ways that can be used. There's a lot of inherent qualities in dandelions, and yet for some reason, we decided to call these things weeds. You probably picked up. I'm probably not really talking about dandelions here, though. Um, so the way that we view people is often kind of like how we, have, how we view dandelions. We put, we put labels on there. We can um, we put them into certain categories, and we can tend to dismiss them. See, we come up to a person, you decide if that person is worthy of your time or is not worthy of you. It's like dandelions. It's a judgment call. Depends on what you value. How you, what you value, is how you'll determine whether a person is worthy of your love or not. And see, I think one of the things about Jesus is He saw everyone, dandelions or flowers. Not these people are bees. And so, kind of one, of the, one of the really cool things I saw this summer on the internet is on stuffchristianslike.com. And I saw this. I'm like, "Wow, we should like modify something like this for CCF." And the title of the, the blog post is "What I Wish Every Church." Or I wish every church said what this church says in their bulletin. And It's kind of a welcome message that is in the bulletin of the church. It's a church called Our Lady of Lourdes Catholic Community, and this is what they say in their bulletin to welcome people. It says. We extend a special welcome to those who are single, married, divorced, gay, (coughs) filthy rich, dirt poor, or yo no habla ingles. We extend a special welcome to those who are crying newborns, skinny as a rail, or could afford to lose a few pounds. We welcome you if you sing like Andrea Bocelli, or like our pastor who can't carry a note in a bucket. You're welcome here if you're just browsing you just woke up or just got out of jail. We don't care if you're more Catholic than the Pope or haven't been in a church since little Joey's baptism. We send a special welcome to those who are over 60 but not grown up yet and to teenagers who are growing up too fast. We welcome soccer moms, NASCAR dads, starving artists, tree huggers latte sippers, vegetarians, junk food eaters, we welcome those who are in recovery or are still addicted. We welcome you if you're having problems, or you're down in the dumps, or you don't like organized religion. We've been there too. If you blew all your offering money at the dog track, you're welcome here. We offer a special welcome to those who think the earth is flat, or work too hard, don't work, can't spell, or because grandma is in town and wanted to go to church. We welcome those who are inked, pierced, or both. We offer a special welcome to those who can use a prayer right now, have had religion shoved down your throat as a kid, or got lost in traffic and wound here by mistake. We welcome tourists, seekers and doubters, bleeding hearts, and you. I think it's a really cool thing, because, you know, as, as the author of this points out, like they try to be as inclusive as possible. They try to... Inject a little humor in there, but also include a lot of people who you would consider normal, but a lot of people that you would consider weird. And I think Jesus, I think Jesus was the same way. You know, Jesus offered an invitation to everyone. Jesus was welcoming of everyone, regardless regardless of what label other people had applied to him. And you know, as I try to think about like what passage goes well with this, uh, scripture, I, I can think of tons of them that really illustrate this point. But, but, and, and some of my favorite stories from the Gospels and some of my favorite passages to preach on. But one of my frustrations is that these sermons, come to find out, are ineffective. You know, take Zacchaeus, for example. You know, we all love the story of Zacchaeus. Um, you guys are familiar with this. Um, it's in the book of Luke. And just to kind of paraphrase the story, you know, Jesus is walking into Jericho and there's this guy named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. Being a chief tax collector in today's society would make people not like you. But being the chief ta- tax collector in first century Israel would mean that everybody hated you. Because you were a traitor, because you were stealing from them, you were a cheat. Everyone hated Zacchaeus. But he heard Jesus was coming into the town. And so he wanted to see Jesus, but he was kind of short. And so he found this tree, and he climbed up in this tree, and was kind of looking out, trying to get a, just a glimpse, just trying to get a glimpse of Jesus, not expecting any kind of interaction with him. But Jesus walked straight up to his tree, and looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I so I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house today. And we all love this story. We've heard so many sermons on this story. We think it's a great story. But but it's, it's not an effective sermon because if this was truly an effective sermon, if people really took the story of Zacchaeus and applied it after hearing a sermon on it, every church would be filled with a bunch of weirdos. we would be filled with weirdos because we would go out and we would find the people that nobody else likes. And we would take the love of Jesus to them and interact with them. We would invite them to come to our church. We would invite them to be a part of our lives. But that doesn't happen. It's ineffective. Or you take the story of the woman at the well, which Jesus was in this country, in one of the neighboring countries called Samaria, and the Jewish people and the Samaritans hated each other. They were enemies. But he goes up to this well, and he finds this woman who's alone there in the middle of the day. The fact that she was in there in the middle of the day, which is the hottest part of the day, And see, if you're going to carry a huge jar of water, you want to go at night when it's... Wouldn't your job be much easier at night? Yeah, it would be. (laughs) He moves water for a living, and so he knows what I'm talking about. Um, But she was at the middle of the day because she wanted to avoid all the other people. Because like Zacchaeus, she was an outcast. She had made a mess of her life. She'd had multiple husbands, multiple divorces, and was now living with somebody who wasn't her husband. And she felt rejected she felt left out and so this guy comes up to her first of all it's a Jewish guy so he's an enemy secondly he's called a rabbi or a teacher of the law so he's holy and he would normally a rabbi wouldn't interact with a woman such as her who's a sinner and thirdly a single man and a divorced woman wouldn't normally be interacting but Jesus went up and talked to this woman had a conversation with this woman they changed their life in the process. And if we truly and we love this story, but if we truly applied it in our lives, we would look be looking for people who are considered our enemies or don't fit in with our standards. And we'd be inviting the church, we would invite them into our lives. Or the woman that was caught in adultery, and they took her up to Jesus. And they caught her in adultery, and they took her to Jesus and said, Jesus. The law says we just stone a woman like this. What do you say? Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Everyone dropped their stones. And they left. And then Jesus said to her, what happened to all your condemners? Why don't people condemn you? They said, they're all gone. And Jesus said, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And we love this story because Jesus is like putting a down on the people who are judgmental and... Showing compassion in this moment. I love this story, but we don't apply it. We still go out and we're judgmental with people. We judge people in their sins. We put labels on people who don't fit in to our expectations. That sermon doesn't work. Or when Jesus would heal the lepers, he would go up and actually touch a leper. And so you couldn't touch a leper because if you touched a leper, lepers were considered unholy If you touched them you would become unclean as well. But Jesus would go and he would touch the lepers and they would be healed. And we love these stories. We love hearing about Jesus healing people. But we don't apply this in our lives. We don't go up to people who are metaphorically untouchable. We still allow them to stand in untouchable states. We reject them. See, these sermons, we love them. I love preaching them but for some reason they're ineffective. We don't step up and do this. And I think it's because we love the idea of these things, but we still don't love the people and the stories. We still don't see them the way Jesus sees them. We don't see them the way God sees them. We don't see them through those eyes. We don't see them like the dandelions who are flowers and are full of nutrition and all these different uses. We see them as weeds that mess up our landscape. See, I was, I was reading this story about. Um, it's kind of interesting. Um, it was about M. Scott Peck, who's a psychologist, and he had one of his patients who was suffering with depression with him one time, and he had to stop him off at the hospital, and he said, I, "I've got some business I have to do. Here's the name of three patients. Why don't you go, you know, go go hang out with these people and go cheer them up a little bit?" And so she did that while he was doing his stuff, and they met up afterwards. She said, "Wow, that was amazing. I've never felt such joy." in my life and peck said to her well i think we found the solution your depression and you know what she said to him she said you don't expect me to do this every day do you see i think that's the thing about a lot of these kind of encounters if when we actually step out and reach out to people we find joy in it but for some reason we don't feel like we should be expected to do that every day every moment but that's the life i think jesus calls us to Do we value people? Do we see them? Do we see them as worthy? Do we see them like viewing a dandelion as a flower? Or do we see them as weeds in our lives? The second part, the kingdom of God is a party and everyone is invited. I think we miss this sometimes because, you know, I think one of the coolest things, like, one time Jesus was asked, why his disciples didn't fast like the Pharisees' disciples fasted? You know Jesus' answer was to paraphrase his answer was because it's party time. Because it's party time. And yeah, he actually he used an analogy of like you don't fast while the bridegroom's here; and you celebrate. And then when the bridegroom's gone, you can sell you can fast all you want. But right now, because Jesus is with us, because. Jesus is a part of our lives because Jesus is a part of our fellowship. It's party time. It's party time. That's really cool. Um, yeah, you know, Jesus Jesus was always at parties. Jesus was always celebrating stuff. Well not always, but you see Jesus at parties a lot of times. You see him at banquets, you see him at weddings. You know, his very first miracle took place at a wedding. You know, in, in our culture, sometimes weddings are big parties, and sometimes they're kind of small get togethers. Um, but but in the Jewish culture, weddings were like ridiculously huge parties. Um, because they work a little different. Like For Jewish people, in that culture, you would become engaged when your parents would make an agreement with another family saying, Our kids are going to get married someday. And so then at some point, They would have the ceremony but the ceremony wasn't the wedding it was the betrothal and so you um i'll use me and natalie as an example if we had gone this system we would have our ceremony we would be betrothed to one another and it had most of the legal ramifications of a marriage you have to be divorced to get out of it that sort of thing but you didn't move in together just yet so you didn't consummate the marriage just yet then what would happen is the groom this is going to sound familiar if you're familiar with of the stuff Jesus said. The groom would go to his father's house, and he would add a room to it that him and his wife would live in. And then one, whenever that room was finished, then he would just say, hey, it's wedding time. And so the ceremony's already done, everything's already done. So the wedding was just a big feast that would last for days and days and days. Depending you know on how rich they are. And so if you remember when Jesus was at this wedding performing a miracle There's no telling how long he's been there, but they run out of wine, which, like... In in a hospitable culture like that, that was, like, a huge no-no. So that's why he turned water into wine. But it was a big party that he was at. Um, He was always at banquets. He was always at parties. And I think one of the cool things, too, is when he talks about... Becoming a follower of him, he uses the language of weddings, and he uses the language of banquets. Because... Being a follower of Christ, being one of God's children, is something worth celebrating. And I think celebration and hospitality really are at the core of the gospel message. Um and one example we can look at is the parable of the prodigal son, which you've even if you're not you've never been to church before, you've probably heard the prodigal son do some kind of pop culture reference or something, but just to sum it up real quick, a guy has two rich guy has two sons, and his youngest son comes up to him one day and says, "Give me my inheritance. So I want to go. I want to go live. I, wanna, I want my inheritance now. I want the money that I'm going to get after you die. I want it now." And so he was the younger son. So the older son would get two thirds of it. The younger son would get one third of everything that his father owned. And so, for whatever reason, his father gives him this money. He goes out. He blows it all on wild living and then he runs out of money and at the same time the economy goes south and so he's starving he can't find a job the only job he can find is feeding pigs if you're a jewish person pigs are unclean and so you don't even do anything with pigs but he's actually feeding them and not only is he feeding them he's wishing like these pigs are eating better than he is and like the you know, pig slot that he's feeding them is kind of looking good they have at the point he's hit rock bottom and so he decides, like, well, my father's not going to take me back, probably, because what I did was pretty horrible. But maybe, you know, my ser- his servants are doing pretty well, too. I mean, they eat well. So, you know, I am a son, so maybe he'll at least let me come back as a servant. And so he goes back, and of course, what happens is he has a speech all prepared about how he's going to apologize, how he's going to be a servant. And he can't even get a word of it out. His father comes up to him, celebrates him, and what does he do? That was a huge party we're going to slaughter the fatted calf we're going to put some good clothes on you we're going to invite everybody to come here we're going to celebrate So our son was lost and now he's found the kingdom of God is a party and the cool part about it is everyone is invited hospitality I think is central to the gospel and then the third part don't be a butt one T not two and here's what I mean about that. Um, don't be the one saying but all the time. Like how kind of these first few things we'll talk about. Like you look at some of the stories that we talked about is, you know, the older son in the story of the prodigals. the story of the prodigal son we just told, the older son then comes to the father, and he's upset and he said, but dad, I've served you perfectly always, and this other son comes up, rejected you, wished you were dead, knew all your money, why are you throwing a party for him and not for me? you never throw a party for me. Or maybe the woman who was caught in adultery. The Pharisees are like, but Jesus. The law says that we should stone such a woman. Or when Jesus healed the people, the Pharisees would say, but Jesus. You aren't supposed to heal people on the Sabbath. You're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. See, the Pharisees were butts. Um, one T again. Pharisees, see, they would play this game, what Jesus called Scripture says. And, and here's it, like, and it's hard for me to even say this because I do I do I take Scripture very seriously. But one of the things the Pharisees would do is they would use the Bible, they would use the Old Testament to withhold hospitality from people, to exclude people from their society, and to treat them like a weed. Treat them badly, and see Jesus rejects this line of reasoning, and he says, "He says this isn't the proper use of Scripture. This isn't the way Scripture was supposed to be used." I and Jesus, actually, Jesus said the opposite: that Scripture is inclusive. My kingdom is inclusive to people. See, and again, here's being clear, like in case I'm not being clear, in case anybody's going to go out and say. I'm telling you not to obey scripture. I'll clarify right now. Obey scripture. Read it. Do what it says. Do it. Obey scripture. That's not what I'm saying. But here's the thing about the Pharisees, though, is whenever they came up to Jesus and had this and quoted scripture, they always quoted it correct. They always quoted it correctly. The Pharisees were right. The, the scripture said that woman should be stoned. That woman should be put to death for committing adultery. The scriptures were right. They were right when they said that you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. You're disobeying the Sabbath. They were always right in these situations. But yet, Jesus rejected what they were saying. Because the use of scripture is never a reason to not be hospitable to somebody, it's never a reason to exclude somebody. It's never a reason to reject somebody or treat somebody badly. It's never a reason to do any of that. I say, so here's the thing. Like, once again, if you think I'm being loose with scripture here. Here's the thing you have to realize. So I, I do. I take it very seriously, and that's actually why I say this because when I read the Gospels, Jesus is harsh with people sometimes. Jesus is sometimes harsh with people. But it's never the people who were called sinners. It's never the woman caught in adultery. It's never the prostitutes. It's not the woman with 15 divorces. It's not the tax collectors. It's not the swindlers. It's not the thieves. It's not anybody like them. Whenever Jesus is harsh with somebody, it is always somebody like me. It's always somebody like me. Someone who... It was the Pharisees, the people who had studied Scripture academically, somebody like me, went to seminary, got my masters, and then went and taught people what the law said. When Jesus was harsh with somebody, or somebody who fits the exact description of me. And when he was harsh with them, it was never, ever because they were being too loose with Scripture. It was never, ever because they were being too loose with the law. Was always because they were not being hospitable to people. They weren't welcoming people. And so that's that's where this comes from. It's it's not that I don't take scripture seriously, it's because I take it very really seriously. And I imagine if Jesus came today, I, I, I would be one of the Pharisees, like I would follow the care, I would be one of the religious leaders and if he when he was harsh with somebody That's who he was harsh with. Imagine someday when I meet Jesus, if he accuses me of being inhospitable or treating people badly, I don't know what I would say to him. If he accused accused me of taking Scripture too loosely, at least I could say to him, weren't you accused of the same thing when you were on earth? That's why the Pharisees killed him. He was being too loose with the law they felt. And that was a threat, because they felt that the way, to, the way to God's favor was to follow the law perfectly. And they didn't feel like Jesus was following the law perfectly in that. So I want to close with a story. It's um, one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. Um, kind of sums things up nicely. And I don't know if you're familiar with Tony Campolo. He's one of my favorite speakers. He's a sociology professor at Eastern University and he's kind of a national speaker. He's on TV a lot. Um, Sometimes presidents come to him for spiritual advice. Um, He tells a story about one time he was going to speak at a conference in Honolulu. I'm actually, I got this from his website. I'm just gonna read it. Um, It says, I had to go speak in Honolulu. Well, sometimes you get LA, sometimes you get Honolulu. If you go to Honolulu, Because of the distance from the East Coast where I live, there's a six hour time difference. And I woke up about three o'clock in the morning and I was hungry and I wanted to get something to eat. But in a hustling city like Honolulu at three o'clock in the morning, it's hard to find anything that's open. So up on the side street, I found this Greasy Spoon restaurant and I went in. It was one of those dirty places, didn't have any booths, just a row of stools to the counter. I sat down a bit uneasy. I didn't want to touch the menu because it was all greasy and dirty, and afraid to even touch it. Um, and all of a sudden, this very heavy-set, unshaved man with a cigar came out from the back room, put down a cigar, and said, "What do you want?" I said, "I'll said, have a donut and a cup of coffee." So he poured the coffee, and then he scratched himself, and with that same hand, picked up the donut. Uh, so I'm at 3:30 in the morning, drinking my coffee, eating the sturdy donuts. And into the place comes about eight or nine prostitutes. It's a small place. They sit on either side of me, and then I try to disappear. The woman on my immediate right was very boisterous and said to her friend, Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. And her friend said, So what do you want me to do? You want me to sing happy birthday? Should we have a cake and a party? It's your birthday. And the first woman said, Look, why do you have to put me down? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life and I don't expect to have one now. That's all I needed, that's all I needed." And he says, i right, it's Tony Capola. I waited until they left, and I called Harry over, and I asked, do they come in here every night? He said, yes. And he said, the one to the right of me, Agnes, tomorrow's her birthday. What do you think about decorating the place? When she comes in tomorrow night, we'll throw a birthday party for her. What do you think? He said, mister, that's brilliant, that's brilliant. He called his wife out of the back room, Jan, come out here, I want you to meet this guy. He wants to throw a birthday party for Agnes. She came out, took my hand, squeezed it tightly and said, you wouldn't understand this, mister, but Agnes is one of the good people, one of the kind people in this town and nobody ever does anything for her. And this is a good thing. Said, can I decorate the place? She said, to your heart's content. I said, I wanna bring a birthday cake. And Harry said, no, the cake's my thing. So I got there the next morning about 2.30, and I had streamers I bought at Kmart, strung them all over the place. I made this big poster, Happy Birthday, Agnes, and put it behind the counter. I had the place spruced up. Everything was set. Everything was ready. Jan, who does the cooking, had gotten word out on the street. By 3.15, every prostitute was squeezed into this diner. People, it was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. 3.30 in the morning, in came Agnes and her friends. I got everybody set, everybody ready, and they come to the door and we all yell, Happy Birthday, Agnes! In addition, we start cheering like mad. I've never seen anyone so stunned. Her knees buckled. They steady her, they sat down on the stool, and we started, all started singing, Happy Birthday! Happy Birthday! Happy Birthday to you! And when they brought out the cake, she lost it and started to cry. Harry just stood there with the cake and said, Alright, knock it off, Agnes. Blow out the candles. Come on, blow out the candles. She tried, but she couldn't. So he blew out the candles, gave her a knife, and said, cut the cake, Agnes. She sat there for a long moment. She said to me, Mister, is it okay if I don't cut the cake? What I'd like to do, mister, is take the cake home and show it to my mother. Could I do that? I said, it's your cake. She stood up and said, and I said, you have to do it now. She said, I live two doors down. Let me take the cake home, show it to my mother. I promise you I'll bring it right back she moved towards the door carrying the cake as though it was the holy grail she pushed through the crowd and out the door the door swung slowly shut and there was stunned silence you talk about an awkward moment everyone was motionless everyone was still and i don't know what to say so finally i said what do you say we pray it's weird looking back on it now you know a sociologist leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes at 3:30 in the morning in a diner but, but it was the right thing to do. I pray that God would deliver her from the dirty, filthy men had done to her. You know how these things start. Some eleven or twelve-year-old girl gets messed over and destroyed by some filthy man, and she all goes hill, she goes all downhill from there. And men use her and abuse her. I said, God deliver her, make her into a new creation. Because I've got a God who can make us new no matter what or where we've been of what we've been through. I prayed that God would make her new. When I finished my prayer, Harry leaned over the counter and he said, Compolo, you told me you were a sociologist. You're no sociologist, you're a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? In one of those moments where you come up with just the right words, I said this, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. I'll never forget his response. He looked back at me and he said, No, you don't. No, you don't. I would join a church like that. See, the cool thing about this story is I think it totally captures our new vision statement, perfectly. This guy, he saw this prostitute not as someone who was a sinner, not as someone who was to be avoided or to be rejected, not as a weed. He saw this woman as a flower. He saw her through God's eyes. He saw her as somebody who needed Jesus, who was worth being loved, someone who Jesus died for and it the kingdom of God is like a party. Actually, this story comes from a sermon that I ripped that line off from. it. kingdom of God is like a party. Because, hey, they're throwing a party, right? This person and our God are both things that are to be celebrated. And there were no buts here. There was no, but she's a prostitute. There was no, but she's a sinner, but what she's doing is wrong in God's eyes. None of that mattered at this moment. What mattered reaching out to this woman, showing this woman the love of Christ in a way that she had never been loved before. So here's the thing about CCF and this vision that we in the is We're most definitely not the type of ministry that would throw a birthday party for a prostitute. But we should be. We should be. We need to be. I want us to be. Once he's gonna come, he doesn't have a figure out.